0: Rich, my on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Um, thanks, everyone. Um, I want us to start actually with. Actually let's, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do a little quick poll uh, this morning, uh, and I want us to, just to see where we land. Okay, so uh, you finish. We finish here this morning. You drive home. Uh, England have won the World Cup. Celebratory trip to IKEA uh, on the way home to pick up some flat pack furniture. I don't know how you're going to celebrate, but and. Um, and I want to ask what type of person are you? Are you person A, uh, if, if you have the, the instructions out? Are you person A that uh, before you get any of the stuff out, you carefully select the instruction manual, read through it cover to cover, put it to one side, ensure you have all the correct equipment, ensure if there's a, you know where your phone is in case you need to phone IKEA for any emergencies. Uh, all the pieces are laid out and carefully numbered before you start doing anything. Or are you more like person B, uh, rip open the packaging, throw it all on the floor, instruction booklet can go in the bin, instructions are for dummies, I've got this. Okay. so which type of person are you? And I'm going to ask you to vote. Okay. so are you more like person A, carefully laid out instructions, hands up, very good. Or are you more like person B, instruction booklets are for dummies? Very good. And now you can turn to the person next to you if they voted the other way, and you can judge them uh, for their poor IKEA etiquette. See, and we're looking this morning at uh, a text that we often think of as a bit of a kind of manual for life, a little bit of a rule book. It's what we know as the Ten Commandments. And um, I want to suggest this morning to you that what we're looking at this morning isn't just a kind of a rule book for life, a kind of list of good things that we should do but actually that it contains clues to what we understand and know about what the the nature of freedom is. Which might feel strange when you're thinking about rules, but what does it look like to live the free life? That's the text that we're going to look at this morning. And in fact, I'm going to ask Natasha to come up and read to us, and the text will be on the screen behind you. We're in Exodus uh, chapter 20, um, starting at verse 1, and we're going to verse 17.
1: Hello? Yeah? Okay, great. Um, So yeah, it's Exodus 1, verses 1 to 17. Oh no, Exodus 20, sorry. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord, the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant. His ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Natasha. So the the story, if if you've been tracking with us, we've been in the book of Exodus. It's the story of of Moses and the people of Israel. And they start the story uh, in captivity. The people of Israel are captives. They're slaves in Egypt. And God delivers them out of slavery through the Red Sea. And they're on the way to the Promised Land. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Um, with all the the kids in, about God calling Moses up the holy mountain. God appears to his people, and then he gives them this list of of commandments that we come to know as the Ten Commandments, which are about what it looks like to live as God's free people. And when we think about rules, the reality is, I know I kind of put you, I made you kind of choose one or the other, and some of you felt really comfortable doing that, but honestly, our relationship to to rules or laws, boundaries, however you want to call them, is for all of us complex. So like, just uh, example couple examples. So um, a few years ago, when Beth and I were dating, we went to this wedding, it was a bit of a posh do, and there were some signs on the grass, that's, uh, next to the grass, that said, do not walk on the grass. So I see the sign, follow the rule, and walk carefully along the path. To my horror, I turn behind me to see Beth seeing the sign, not as a kind of a rule to be followed, but an invitation to be broken, and she is sauntering across the middle of the lawn. But actually, when it came to COVID-19, it kind of it flipped a little bit, and Beth was, um, was pretty conscientious, stuck to it rigidly. And while I'm not saying I kind of like, you know, flagrantly disregarded the, the law or kind of drove up to anywhere to get my eyes tested, I probably had a generous interpretation at points, if I'm really honest with myself. <laughs> and so the reality is we, we have this complex relationship to rules. And so when we see a list uh, like this before us, my guess is you probably got one of two instincts. The first is you start to scan the list and you're like, "Okay, how many of these can I tick off? Yeah, I've never murdered anyone. Uh, uh, nope, never committed adultery. Uh, I was stealing. Isn't why I wasn't stealing? I kind of borrowed it for longer than I should have. Uh, false testimony. Uh, Do white lies count? And you kind of morally tot yourself up. How am I doing? And you kind of give yourself a score out of ten. Or the second instinct you have is you look at this list and you're like, "Why are we looking at a bunch of rules? I thought you said this was going to be about freedom. What's this got to do with it? Why should I follow all this list of rules that are in this old book? What's this got to do with me? And see, both of these initial instincts fall short in helping us understand the freedom that we ultimately are looking for. And freedom's a massive thing in our culture. We've gone to war over freedom. The Second World War is fought over Nazi tyranny. The, uh, what became known as the War on Terror, uh, George Bush called it Operation Enduring freedom when we came out of covid july the 19th 2021 all the fr- pages splashed it's freedom day kind of the end of all restrictions when we uh, came out of the eu regardless of how you felt about it the festival was called freedom festival we want freedom for ourselves and for our culture it's a huge deal and we see two options for us often presented the first of these is what i call just do you you do you John Stuart Mill, he's a famous political philosopher, hugely influential. He said this, liberty or freedom consists in doing what one desires. Freedom is this ability that I have to do what it is that I want to do with my time, my money, my possessions. Don't let other people tell me what to do. Don't let society or institutions, traditions or religion tell you what to do with your life. You do you. Look inside your heart and follow your desires. That's where freedom leads to. And we see this in the way that, um, uh, the way, and if there's, um, I know there's a couple of dancers in the room, so you'll probably kind of correct me on this one. But we see this in the way in which we treat dance. So, Rich, can I invite you up? Yeah, yeah I do, mate. <laughs> okay, so in a, in, a traditional, uh, in a traditional society or in ballroom dancing, you kind of you learn the moves. That's it, Rich, very good. We've learned the moves. And we move in sync with one another and sync with the rest of the room. Not the best example, maybe. We'll find someone else. But Thank you, mate. We could have another go. We, we could have another go later. Uh, If maybe you've watched them like Pride or Prejudice or Bridgerton or something, and you see them all in the room together, and it's not about kind of self-expression. It's about them following the moves and learning from one another and moving in sync. It's not about the individual choosing what freedom looks like. Whereas if you've you've ever seen me on a a dance before, it's all about self-expression, the freedom of moving. And again, if you've ever seen me at a wedding, you know that wasn't a joke. That's actually how I dance. It's about me doing me. It's about me getting to choose how I express myself. And that's the plotline of pretty much every Disney movie. If you've seen The Greatest Showman, there's this scene uh, where the two, uh, the love interests, and they come from kind of different class backgrounds, and they come together and they sing this, this song, you be the one that I was meant to find. It's up to you, it's up to me. No one can say what we get to be. Why don't we rewrite the stars? Tonight. <laughs> it's up to you, it's up to me. We look inside of our hearts. Don't let society tell us who it is that we get to, um, what it is that we get to do, even who we get to love. Don't even the even the very nature of the cosmos, the stars, can get rewritten if we follow our inner desires. And see, there's much to be celebrated about this approach to freedom. I'm really glad that I got to marry uh, got to marry someone that I chose to marry, and you can decide whether Beth or I kind of changed social class. That's up to you. Uh, I'm glad that I got to choose where it is that I live, what I do, that society gives me the freedom to do that. There's so much that is good. But if ultimate freedom and fulfillment are found from looking within, there are a couple of problems that we come across. The first is that relationships start to become something that become a potential curb on our freedom. If you you have any kind of friendship or relationship with someone, they begin to impact on you in a way that curbs your freedom. Um, If you've got um, your housemates, uh, and you, you, or a friend that you want to go out for dinner with, sometimes they get to choose the restaurant, sometimes you do. You don't get to choose all the time. If you're, in a, um, if you're married or you've, you've got kids, you know that your relationships impact on your freedom. You don't get to always choose what it is that you do, where you go, what time you wake up, what time you go to sleep. These things impact on you. Relationships start to become a potential curb in our freedom. And I don't think it's any coincidence that where this is the dominant view of, 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 of culture and the view of freedom that we end up as one of the loneliest, most isolated cultures there's ever been. Every generation statistically kind of identifies that they have less, identify they have less close friends than previous generations. This view of freedom has impacts on the way in which we build relationships with one another. But also, we, we know that actually in life we need some kind of rules or, or, or boundaries in order just to navigate life. Uh, Laura, would you, we're going to play a game. It's called um, The Winner Takes It All. Are you ready? Okay, your move first. L- what do I do? She doesn't know what to do because she doesn't know the rules of the game, and that's the same in life. Like, we need some kind of rules to, uh, to navigate not just The Winner Takes It All game, but actually to navigate life, to navigate relationships and friendships, to navigate the world around us. Rules and, and, and boundaries kind of become, a, become important. It's not just about doing what I want to do all the time. We know that. And so the second approach that comes in recognizes that what we do matters. That even within ourselves, we perhaps recognize that we're not where we want to be. And so our, the second approach is kind of increasingly dominant, and it's called—I've called um, I've called it 10 Steps to Freedom. And if you want to know what this is about, just go to any bookshop, uh, find the kind of the self-improvement aisle. This isn't my collection of books, by the way. Um, uh, and you start to see that there's, there's a whole genre of books about improving yourself. Learning a new technique, 12 rules to change your life, Jordan Peterson, win your inner battles, 30 days to change your habits, 30 days to change your life. Um, My personal favorite up there is um, uh, your miracle miracle morning, six steps to transform your life before 8 a.m. And um, I know I'm a bit of a role model for you all, so here are my six habits to change much, transform your life before 8 a.m. Try and set Felicity, she's woken up too early. Uh, Watch Bluey, watch Peppa Pig. Try and tell Winnie she can't, watch another episode of Bluey and Peppa Pig. Uh, pick up the cereal off the floor, try and get ready for work. There's so many of them. This diet, this habit, this technique, this mindfulness uh, pattern, this way is the way that you will find freedom. This is the way that you find fulfillment and improvement. And again, there's much to be good on that. If you know me, you know I'm pretty disorganized by nature. I'm not the kind of, the yeah, I'm not the most organized person. Uh, you can just, um, yeah. You can probably guess. Uh, and, and so habits, practices, they're good things. Like some of these books I've read, and I've, I've tried to implement some of them. They're good. But even the fact that, that you can see from this picture up there, the first problem, which is actually that the number of them are overwhelming and incomplete. The fact that there's another, another book coming out all the time perhaps reveals to us that they don't deliver on the promise that they hold out. Which of these habits am I supposed to keep? All of them? And secondly, the problem is, and it kind of the reason that there's another one coming out all the time is that failure is caked into the system. See, a rules-based approach to freedom and transformation to the good life ultimately won't work. Why? Because we can't keep them. We can't keep them. Just do you. Just follow your inner desires. Do what it is that you want to do, or just follow these ten steps to freedom. Both of these two approaches fail to recognize that the problem with the human condition is far deeper than we're prepared to admit. Like I was out in the garden yesterday trying to kind of pull up some weeds, and and if you went and looked at my garden now, it's, it's, it's moderately tidy. Like a lot of the weeds are pulled out, but if you come back in a week, there's going to be more. You've just got to keep pulling them out, pulling them out. And if all I do is kind of just try and keep on top of it, I don't address the issues that are underneath in the garden, Uh, I'm not going to see long-lasting change, transformation freedom. And that's true in our lives. Our slavery isn't just to kind of traditions or institutions that we can get rid of. Our slavery isn't just something that can be solved by some new uh, better self-control, mindfulness technique, some new habit that I'm going to pick up before breakfast. They all might be really helpful, but failure is caked into the system. See, it's our hearts that keep us captive. It's our hearts. Our hearts, our desires, our a restlessness that we, means that we always want more. We always want to achieve more. Want to be more. It's the reason that we go to the idols that Matt described last week. It's the reason that there's a, we're writing another book on self-fulfillment and freedom. It's the reason that Disney can create another movie. See, we can't find freedom by just looking within, and we can't achieve our own freedom through some new technique. Instead. And this is the good news of our text this morning, and the good news of the gospel, is that our freedom has to be won for us. Our freedom has to be won for us. And so we see in our text this morning a different pattern, a different pattern of both freedom and then behavior change. And so let's come to the Ten Commandments and and look at them together through this new, see a new pattern, a new alternative. See, it's quite clear that they don't feel like they're not just you do you. There's a list of things that you're supposed to do or not do. And yet, also, you might be looking and thinking, well, isn't this just another kind of self-improvement technique? Isn't this just another 10 steps to freedom? Well, actually, no, and the clue is here at the beginning. See, the first line that um, Natasha read out for us is this. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the land, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, the text starts not with, here's your steps of freedom, but instead, I am God and I have set you free. It's critical that this text, this list, this giving of the law comes, not in order to deliver them out, the people of Israel out of Egypt, but having been delivered already. This isn't some model or technique to achieve God's love, to achieve his approval, or to achieve freedom. No, God sets the people of Israel free. God sets us free. And so, the text goes on, you've been set free, so don't go back to Egypt, don't go back to slavery. The first two commandments about having no other gods and having no idols are there because of the reality that Matt talked about last week, that our idols, those things that we go to, that we give ourselves over and above God, the things that we look to for deep meaning and significance, they offer us freedom, but in reality they want to rob us of it. Don't go back to idols, the text says, why? Because they'll lead you back into slavery. They'll trap you, and I am the Lord, and I have already set you free. Instead, instead, not just you, but live the new life. Live a new life, and the, we see in, in commandment three and four that the start of this is finding rest in God and living the life you're called to live. The third uh, commandment is: we, we read it is, um, "You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain." And often we think that's about, um, about blasphemy, kind of not cursing, not saying God's name uh, wrongly. But I want to suggest that's perhaps not the best understanding of the text. Not saying that's not important, but I think there's something deeper going on. The word to take is actually means to bear or to lift up. And Claminine, she's an Old Testament scholar. She observes that the other time that this phrase, bear, the bearing of names, occurs in Exodus is a few chapters later in Exodus 28 where Aaron, who's Moses' brother and he's a priest, he bears the name, and same word, bears the name of the sons of Israel on his breastplate. In this context, it means to represent, to wear the name on your chest. Aaron is representing the people of Israel. And God, when God calls us to, repre- to bear his name, in, do not bear his name in vain, what he means is to represent me well. To represent me well, wow. see, imagine you went into um, you went into Tesco's and uh, when you walked in, the 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 shop assistant is kind of rude or disrespectful, says no, nope, none of that here. Uh, you'd go home and you'd say, that Tesco's, that's really gone downhill, or Tesco, that Tesco was well out of order. See, the person represents the company. Or if, if we went in the other way around and the person was really helpful, you'd go home and say, I tell you, what, I really like Tesco's, really like it, fantastic shop. See, the, the, the person wearing the name of Tesco's on them, they represent, they represent the company. And in the same way, the people of Israel, when, they, when God says, do not, do not bear my name in vain, what he's saying is, represent me well. I've called you to be free. I've delivered you out of Egypt. So live as, live as you are my free people. Show to the nations around how it is that you are, that you are mine and you are free. Find life, the life that you're called to live is found in God. Uh, uh, commandment four is, 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 is so helpful because when we think alright well that's about some things that I've got to do isn't it well commandment four shows us straight away that it, it, it starts with encounter and it starts with rest it says um, remember the Sabbath day and it says God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy he blessed it and he made it holy why are those two things really important see blessing in the Old Testament is where life is found when God blesses something it produces life and something that is holy is, is a place where God is And so when it says God blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy, what he's saying is this. He's saying it's holy, so it's where you meet me, and it's going to bring you life. Rest is found in encounter with God. Life is found in encounter with God. Freedom from the need to constantly produce more, be more, acquire more, do more is found in encounter with God. Sabbath rest isn't just about kind of stopping work for a day, coming to church and then watching the football. Sabbath rest is about encounter with God. Freedom, life, rest is found in encounter with God. Come to me, God says. Find rest. And from that place of rest and encounter, begin to life, live the life that I'm calling you to live as my people. Your freedom, God says, isn't just, isn't just from something. It's not just from slavery in Egypt. It's for something. So, commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 are all about life and community. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not steal. A list, of, a list given about what it looks like to live a free life in community with one another. And this last commandment is so helpful. Do not covet what is not yours. See, again, we start to kind of do the mental list in our head. yet not murdered, not stolen, not lied. But this last one reminds us that it's not primarily about something that we can manage. This, the list of the Ten Commandments isn't just about things that we can control our behavior. To covet something is to want it at a deeper level. It's the heart again. See, it's about this a desiring what is not yours. I wish, I wish I had their career. I wish I had their looks, their parenting style and patient, their house, their money, their hairstyle. I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish. And see, what this gets at is that you're not free to love your neighbor as yourself if you're still held captive by your coveting heart. If you're still just always desiring what isn't yours and what your neighbor has, you're not free to love your neighbor. And the final step in this, in this different pattern is so good. It's such good news. It's such good news. I don't know whether you've ever, when you've seen kind of pictures of, of Moses and the Ten Commandments, if you've ever seen them, they look like this. And, and Moses has got these kind of, um, this list of, 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 of commandments that I'm going to throw around and you're like, why has he got two tablets? And it says in the text that there's two tablets going on. And so often I'm like, well, what is it? Is it just Moses who's got some really big handwriting? He couldn't fit all the ten on one, so he had to go on to his second sheet. Is it, maybe he's just up the mountain. The, there's only kind of small tablets up there. What's going on? Why is there two tablets? Well, see, the way that you made an agreement in the, in the ancient world is that you, um, you, uh, you had, oh, I can't do this, twisting multitasking, my worst skill, I'd fail that commandment. Uh, you had you you wrote down two copies. You had two tablets because you wrote down two copies. And when I make my agreement with Rich about how it is our covenant about what it is to, to live together, I give Rich one copy and I take the other copy, and he keeps his and I keep mine. And we look and we keep a record of them to know that both sides are going to keep the keep the agreement. So what happens to these two these two tablets? See, all ten tab, all ten commandments are on both tablets. And so you'd think, Israel gets one and God gets to keep the other. But where do the tablets go? They get placed in this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark goes in the center of the tabernacle, God's uh, God's temple, the place where God dwells. And what that shows us is the reason that God keeps both tablets is because God keeps both sides of the covenant. God keeps both sides of the covenant. It's not Israel trying to keep one and keep God loving them. Israel uh, cannot keep both sides of the covenant. God recognizes that while he's going to keep up his end of the bargain, the people of Israel won't do the same. And so God commits to keeping both sides. He takes home both tablets, and they're placed with him. God keeps both sides of the covenant because we can't do it. And so we see this same pattern in the person of Jesus, and we'll, we'll come to land as we go through this. See, it's the same pattern in the person of Jesus. Jesus sets us free Paul, when he, he's writing to a, a group of Christians who are kind of struggling what it means to live the free life, and he starts, says this. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Freedom from the captivity and slavery, not just to, uh, to being slaves in Egypt, but freedom from the place which we find ourselves, freedom from our past mistakes, our current struggles, and our future failings. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, but Paul goes on with exactly the same pattern. Stand firm, therefore, and don't go back to idols. Don't submit again, Paul says, to the yoke of slavery. He finishes his sentence reminding us that it's not just that God has set us free, but because he has set us free, don't go back to idols, don't go back to slavery. Instead, the person of Jesus offers us rest and life in him. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, find rest in me so that you will live the life that I'm calling you to live. You're set free, God says. So don't just do you. Instead, love your neighbor. Paul writes on, you are called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't just you do you whatever you want. Instead, you have a new pattern. Serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you notice here, he says it again, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by one another. What Paul's saying is saying exactly the same thing that we saw in the Ten Commandments. You're not free to love your neighbor if you're still held captive by your coveted heart. If you're still kind of biting after, trying to chasing after what it is that the other person has, if you're not satisfied, watch out, because you'll end up destroying one another like a Wagatha Christie trial. Love your neighbor, and again, remember is that God keeps both sides. See, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's both the one who gives us the law and the one who keeps it fully. He's the one who loves God alone. He's the one who, when tempted with other idols, rejects their law. He's the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who doesn't take the name of the Lord in vain, but lives out fully the vocation to, uh, that God called him to live. Jesus is the one who lives a life of love of neighbor to those around him. And Jesus is the one who both fulfills the law, who lives the life that we could never live. And having lived that life, he, t- he dies on a cross, taking upon himself all the times that we totally fail to live by these 10 words. And the good news is that he offers us his spirit. He says, come and find life in me. Come find life in a transformed life with a heart set free and empowered to live a new life. And that's the good news of the Christian gospel. If you're searching for freedom, Jesus says, come find it in me and live the empowered life as I give you my spirit. A life of contentment and gratitude, not chasing after what other people have. A life of loving relationships with one another. A life of deep rest from the restlessness of our heart and their search for satisfaction. See, we're all searching for freedom. Either looking within ourselves, just trying to follow our desires, or perhaps searching for some new technique to change the way that we are. In the person of Jesus, he offers us a different pattern, a different alternative. See, it's Jesus who offers you the chance to be set free from, the, from slavery to idols. It's Jesus who offers you rest. It's Jesus who offers you a chance to live life in all its fullness, the free life, the good life. And it's Jesus who, when we fall so far short, when we recognize within ourselves that we could never keep these 10 commands, that he says, I'm going to keep both sides you." I take it on myself, and I keep both sides. Can we stand together and invite the band to come back up? We're going to take communion in a moment, and communion is a meal that we share together that symbolizes so much of what we've talked about this morning. It reminds us that God has been set free. Communion is, is a meal that celebrates the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the, the, uh, the events in history that mean that we can be set free. Communion is a, is a meal that reminds us that we pledge allegiance again to God. As we come to the table, we say, I'm in. I'm not going back to idols. I'm in. It's a meal where we find rest and, and uh, nutrition in God. It's the reason it's a meal is because it's given to us to sustain us for the journey says, come encounter me in, the, in, my, in my body that is shed for you in the blood that is poured out for you. Come encounter me and find rest and life. It's a meal that we take together as, as, as community. We don't kind of take it on our own, our homes. We take it as community because we're reminded that we are wanting to love one another, that God has called us to a community that we're called to follow him. And it's a meal that reminds us as we confess our sins to God, as we come to the table, that we could never live the life that God calls us to and yet The promises of his grace is that his grace is sufficient for us. That he is the one who both gives the law, but also fulfills it. So let's pray as as we worship. Jesus, we come to you. We come to you, the one who calls us to a new life. We recognize that we have fallen so far short of the call that you have placed on us. And yet we hear again your invitation to come to your table, to come to find rest sustaining power in you to receive your spirit again to transform our hearts to set us free and to live and we thank you for your grace that is with us every single day amen